it helped me develop my voice. I'm very yeah. quiet and very introverted. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like speaking up is really challenging for me. And yeah. but I knew I had to do it for her. Like I couldn't put her in a situation where she might bite a kid and then, you know, who knows what would happen. <laughs> the with a dog podcast a podcast for the modern dog parent i'm your host carly and every wednesday i bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents and we laugh learn and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m potty breaks essentially life with a dog hello hello everyone hope you're having a great with a dog wednesday if you're listening on on a wednesday Today's episode is from my Portland trip, my little business trip that I took last week, aka I went down to Portland just to interview people for the podcast. I do have also a lot of friends down there, so it was pretty easy. I'm based in Seattle, so just a three-hour drive down to Portland, stayed with some friends, and I was able to do some amazing in-person interviews. So today's episode is one of those interviews. So this episode is with Jen of Long Haul Trekkers. And she was so nice. I emailed her a little bit ahead of time. I was like, hey, I'm coming down to Portland. Would love to meet with you in person. She was like, great. Yes. And she invited me into her home. I was able to sit on her couch with her and Sitka, her dog, and just have like an in-person interview, which, you know, no shade to my amazing virtual interviews I've done over the last couple years, but the in-person ones have been very far and few between for obvious, you know, pandemic reasons. And it was nice. It was really nice to be able to just be in the same room as someone and even just like see their dog in person. The whole podcast is about dogs. So it was really nice to be able to see Sitka in person. Every time we'd say his name on the podcast, he'd kind of like look at us like, what, you talking about me? And So it was fun. It added like a nice little extra dynamic to the interview, I think. And it was good for me as far as a podcaster because all of my equipment that I bought, it was pre-quarantine life. I bought it so it could be pretty mobile and I could take it with me and I could do trips like this. So it was really fun to actually use some of my equipment in the way it was supposed to be used. And it was was interesting to learn like what worked and what didn't as far as an in-person setup. You know, I've kind of gotten the the virtual setup down pat now, but it was it was fun to do some of those in-person ones and I hope I can continue doing that over the course of this year. So as each of these Portland interviews come out, keep an eye out on Instagram, TikTok for the reels that I've done that'll kind of like correlate with each interview. And then also I did like a little travel, you know, dog-friendly things to do in Portland as well. So so that video should be hopefully up this week. And also I'm saving kind of all of my stories that go along with each travels under like a travels highlight on the podcast Instagram. So you can see little clips on there as well. But back to today's episode, Jen and I had such an amazing discussion. She was She was so interesting to talk to about, you know, she's a very active person and about how she's had to train her various dogs so they could be active with her because all of her dogs have been reactive, which we talk about in the episode. And so she kind of goes through the story of how she's had to learn to do some specific training and 
advocate for them in a certain way and apply certain methods when she is out on the trail with them or if they are off leash. So it was just really, really interesting to hear all those type of things that she's had to do so she can go on these adventures with her dogs over the years. And in this episode, we do talk about balanced training, which I know is a bit of a controversial topic. And so I will be having on trainers as guests in the future to talk specifically about like what is balanced training and what is positive reinforcement? What are the pros and cons of each to break that all of that down for you guys? So the the stuff that Jen does talk about in this episode is from the balanced training approach. But as with all of my podcast episodes, all of my content, I just interview the people, I give you guys the information so then you can decide what training method, what food, what type of harness, etc. is best for your dog. You know, if you're new here, that's kind of my ideology about the podcast. I just give you all the info, I do the interviews, and then you decide what is best for like your lifestyle, your financial situation, your dogs, etc. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Uh, as I said, I had such a great time with Jen, being with Jen in person and having this awesome discussion. So a little bit more about our guest. Jen is the founder of the adventure dog blog, Long Haul Trekkers. She's the author of the book, The Essential Guide to Hiking with Dogs, a freelance writer, a balanced dog trainer, and of course, dog mom to Sitka. Jen's work helps dog owners build a better relationship with their dogs so that they can enjoy outdoor adventures together. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and if she's not home, she's probably out trail running with Sitka. So Jen, welcome to the With a Dog podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very happy that we're doing this and that you were so nice to let me into your home and that we could do this in person even. We got on the couch with Sitka. Oh, he's like, who? Who me? Who me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, if you could just briefly introduce yourself and Sitka to the listeners. Sure. My name is Jen. I'm the founder of the adventure dog blog, Long Haul Trekkers. I'm also a freelance writer and a new balance dog trainer and dog mom to Sitka. Perfect. Well, before we get into everything you just said, Sitka, Adventure Dog Blog, like all of that. Um, little dog mom check-in. How are you? How's life? What have you been up to? Life is good. Um, Sitka and I are training for a 50K. I, I will be the only one running it, but he is my training buddy. That's going to be at the end of April. Um, have you Have you done a 50K before? I've done two other 50Ks. Okay. You're like a long distance runner. Yes. This is your thing. This is my thing. I've been doing, I've been running for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And you haven't gotten burnt out or injured enough that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Nope. Amazing. I started running with my dog, Albie, again. Um, I used to. I used to run more with Lupin, but now that he's older, he can't do that. And I kind of fell off the bandwagon as well. And it's just, it's very nice to be able to get your exercise and your dog's exercise in at the same time. And it's, it feels just very efficient afterwards. You're just like, wow, yes. look at us. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, does he do, or can he do the full 50K or does he, I mean, I, obviously he trains up to it with you, but like. Is there at a point at which you usually stop his like distance? Um, he the longest he has run 
by my watch, which is probably more because he goes back and forth, is 23 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't cap him at that necessarily. Um, I, I was talking with a, a veterinarian last summer asking like what, how far can dogs run? Cause mm-hmm. I have friends that run 40, 50 miles with their dogs at a time. There's a hundred mile race, I think in Utah that is dog friendly. Ooh. And then you, you know, you have mushing dogs that yeah. can go, you know, 300 miles plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the vet just basically said, as long as you condition them the same way that you're conditioning yourself, yeah, they can go as far as, you know, as far as they can. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, as long as he's not getting injured or he's not showing signs of exhaustion or anything, mm-hmm. I'll, we'll keep running until he tells me he doesn't want to anymore. So that's great. Yeah. Well, he's definitely athletic. Yes. Which is nice. He's like, very athletic. Like just his body shape and like you can tell that he's he's going to be okay with that. Like I feel like there are some breeds who maybe be would not be able to do that type of mileage. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, so you definitely like picked picked a good one for I that. Think so. <laughs> I think so. So you've been training for this race? Yep. Um, and then otherwise I've been working hard with my business. I am working on launching a podcast soon. Boop, boop. Um, <laughs> I'm working on launching a course soon. Um and yeah, I'm doing some more freelance writing. I do mostly outdoor adventure travel type stuff for some local publications. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I really like how your answer, I'm like, what have you been up to? And you said training, but then also it sounds like a lot of the exciting stuff that you're doing is like work related, which is cool because I feel like sometimes, you know, sometimes work is work and you're like, whatever. I, I do that every day, but it's not something I'm excited about. So you seem to really enjoy what you do. I really love what I do. Um, I started my blog in 2014, kind of before, like when blogs were very, were pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I really like working for myself. I really enjoy being able to set my own time schedule. Um, and oh, 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 Sitka. Sorry, sorry Sitka. <laughs> Down. Good. Sorry, we had a little intermission so Sitka wouldn't uh, unplug any cords. All right, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> um, yeah, just I found, you know, I, I don't really do well working for other people. Um, and any job I've had... I think the longest I've been in one place is two years. Mm-hmm. Every job I've had three months in, I'm already bored and looking for something else to do. And I think I just I just don't do well with other people dictating where I have to be and when mm-hmm. or that I have to stay somewhere if I'm done with my work or yeah. I can't leave. I have to take like special leave to go to a doctor appointment. Like it just yeah. it doesn't work for me and mm-hmm. it never has. And when when I started Long Haul Trekkers, it was really more just kind of like a travel log mm-hmm. for friends and family. And brands started to notice us and people started to notice us because um, it started out when my partner at the time and I quit our jobs to go 
take our dog Sora on a bicycle tour across Europe and South America. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really just a way to kind of stay in touch with friends and family. And then brands started noticing, people started noticing, because um, it's kind of an unusual thing to yeah. do. And Especially I, with a dog. With a dog, yeah. yeah. And I learned that blogging can be a business and you can make money from this. So I just learned more about that and mm-hmm. kept it going and kept it going after the trip. And now, now it's, you know – like one of my income streams. Amazing. I definitely resonate with what you were saying about having someone that's like dictating, you know, work, maybe not someone, but like work dictating how you live your life. And and that's something I think that a lot of people, and I know we have some younger listeners, you know, in their 20s starting their career and stuff like that. I feel like it's really hard sometimes to feel like you're an adult, but then have this other entity, like be dictating everything, you know, how, as you said, take special leave for just a doctor's appointment. And you're like, no, I can only get haircuts and all that outside of work hours. And, or you have to work for, you know, 30 years until you're senior enough in the company where people don't, don't question where, you you know, how you come and go and whatever. And, And sometimes it's really hard as like a newbie starting their career to see that seniority have that autonomy that you want, that you're like, I would actually work better and work smarter and harder if I could listen to or have that kind of freedom with either time or, you know, maybe one day you're like extra tired for some reason. You you can allow yourself to sleep in a little bit more. And and that is the nice thing about being self-employed. There's a lot of negatives, but <laughs> but that is the nice thing about that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I work more than I have. I'm trying to flip that a bit, give myself more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I don't mind the work. I don't mind working because I can work when I want. So if I yeah. want to work on a weekend and take Tuesday and Wednesday off to go play, I can. Mm-hmm. If I want to book a hair appointment at 9.30, I can. Yes. If I want to have a podcast interview <laughs> in the middle of the day, I can. Exactly. And I can just work later or mm-hmm. work more the next day. Like it, it just works so much better for me to be able to dictate my own time. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's also I think sometimes when you're in a creative job or you can work how you want to in the way of like – this morning I'm feeling creative. Let's make some reels or, you know, whatever. Let's take some cool photos of the dogs rather than, no, I need to write these emails or stuff like that. It's kind of like you can work how your brain wants you to, kind of like whatever mood you're in. And I think, yeah, that for me at least has worked a lot because I do have ADHD and it's something I've known I've had forever and I'm like can function well with it and everything. But it works so much better for me to like be able to situate like, no, I'm feeling very energetic right now. I'm going to do this rather than be like, no, I have to sit in a meeting right now, that kind of thing. So Uh, meetings, meetings, I don't miss meetings. (laughs) My meetings now are like podcasts. I know they're podcasts. Yeah. They're like interviews for articles. Much more fun. Yeah. (laughs) Much more productive. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So you got stuff happening with the blog and the course and all of that. And then um, you've got your training, the race in April. Let's talk and learn a little bit more about Sitka for all the listeners. So this is kind of a quick answer round. 
What is his breed and age? Sitka is a cattle dog mix. I don't know what else he's mixed with. And he's five years old. Perfect. And and he seems he seems to be a very good size, I think. Uh, having two large dogs myself that are not um, compact. He seems like he's very <laughs> athletic and like a, a good size dog, but not small. Like he's how, – how much does he weigh? He's 42 pounds and yeah, he's – this is kind of the ideal size for me because yeah. he's pickupable. So mm-hmm. if something happens out on the trail, I can carry him out Yes, with some – discomfort but yeah. <laughs> i can do it <laughs> you can pick up the 40 pounds if yeah. you need to yes yeah. yeah um that's well we're already learning tips and tricks for adventuring <laughs> with your dog from you there you go everyone if you need if your dog gets injured you need to carry your dog out for any reason how are you going to do that okay so yeah good size what is his favorite food he he's not too picky um but i would say i don't lately he's been liking frozen blueberries frozen <laughs> He's he likes, frozen. He likes the non-frozen ones, but something about the frozen ones, he comes running. He's like, I need the organic frozen blueberries from Whole Foods. Yep. And yeah. <laughs> yep. That's good. Very healthy of him. Yeah. It's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, what is his favorite toy? Um, his favorite toy is a cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> is it just like, does he grab it like voluntarily and just like shred it or what? No, I don't. I don't let him do that. He would if I allowed it. Because um, anytime he sees a cardboard box, now he thinks they're for him. Mm. Uh, basically, I just make busy boxes out of out of them. So I'll take his food and I'll keep the packaging paper, and I'll crumple up some food in the packaging paper, and I'll toss in a handful of food and like so it falls in the nooks and crannies, and then I'll seal up the box and I'll just fold it so it like stays. Yeah. Shut. Stays closed. Yeah. And then I let him have at it. And Go he for it. uses his nose to get all the food out. Mm-hmm. And then when all the food's gone, he destroys the box and he <laughs> just thinks it's the greatest thing. And it satisfies that need to kind of rip and tear without, you know, it's like um, allowed destructive behavior yes. rather than, you know, a couch or shoes or whatever. <laughs> so he can tear up the cardboard box. It's a mess for me to clean up, but. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, you guys, you don't have to spend a lot of money on dog toys. Get your dog a cardboard box. <laughs> get some box. blueberries. Get some. Get a cardboard <laughs> box. Your dog will be fine. Yep. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, as much as I love all the enrichment toys and puzzle toys and stuff, my dog, Albus, um, who has some cattle dog in him, actually. So I feel I feel like a lot of his behaviors airs more towards um herding breed than hound and yeah and he loves shredding boxes i i had on a guest uh nina audison who makes the enrichment toys love her toys yes yeah she's so great and it was a great interview and she told us that some dogs are like you know more sniff things out some are more tactile with their paws and then others are more like their mouth and on how they solve the puzzles in front front of them and it's so interesting to see how my dogs will figure out the boxes. Like Lupin is all nose, so I can't make the box too hard to to open because he's not like he will not like grab it or like with his paws or anything. Yeah. He will sniff it out. So he's more like I spread kibble throughout the house and he'll find each one. Nice. Whereas Albie, it's like you give him the box and he's like, I'm gonna rip this open. (laughs) And and he's very like his claws grabbing it and, and like that ripping and tearing thing that you were talking about. Yeah, it's so fun to watch dogs kind of just do their dog thing and see like 
which they excel at most or which they prefer. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's fun to like figure it out. So I just I put that anecdote in there mainly for all the listeners of like, you know, figure out what your dog likes, like blueberries and boxes and, <laughs> you know, and kind of go with it. Um, okay, cool. So boxes are the favorite toy. Is he a beach or mountains dog? Hmm. He he really loves both and the Oregon coast is a very special place, but I'm going to say mountains. Okay. So he does go to the coast a lot. He likes the ocean and stuff, oh, but yeah. he's, mountains is like... His real love is rivers and lakes. Mm. This dog will go towards water every time he sees it. It doesn't matter how cold it is. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter if it's raining. Yeah. He will go to the water. He loves the water. Beach water, ocean water is different. Like he mm-hmm. goes to it, but it's he, he. It's not the same. He loves rivers because he can like. I try not to let him do this, but he like digs at the bank and like rips at the like <laughs> roots growing out. He just it's he. I could literally be on a riverbank. I could like sit there, and he would just entertain himself for hours if I let him. That's so cool. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so next question: Does he like people or dogs more? He likes me most. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he's he likes dogs um, and people. He just he's he can be least reactive um, with dogs and uh, just gets very excited around people. So I just try to. Pr- I always practice neutrality around people and dogs. Mm-hmm. I don't let him meet other dogs. Um, dogs we don't know ever mm-hmm. um and as you know i gave you a lot of rules when you came over about sick <laughs> i i tell people in advance when they come over to just ignore him let him come to you he'll be at a crate yeah. so i just give him that like time to chill out when there's new people and dogs but ultimately i work to be the most important thing in his life okay so all right i like that <laughs> he's like i don't care about anyone except mom mom and water yeah <laughs> Well, on that note then, since you are the most important thing in his life, is he clingy or independent, like in the home, like with you? Um, he's he's very independent. Mm-hmm. At home, um, you know, he, he's like most dogs. He'll, he'll like follow me to the bathroom. I don't know what it is about <laughs> dogs needing to follow their owners to the bathroom. But I let him come in in the morning. We have our routine. I get up, get out of bed, go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he really likes butt scratches in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know. He, I swear he purrs. Oh. And sometimes he gets really squirrely. He'll like, I posted a video of this the other day. He like, was biting his back leg, like mm-hmm. like taking, you know, a good third of his leg and sticking it in his mouth, <laughs> biting it. I don't know. I don't, he's a strange one. Um, so I let him do that in the morning. And then during the day when I have to go to the bathroom, um, cause my, my place is very small. So it's like living room office is all the same. Um, I see him perk up when I, when I like move and I'm mm-hmm. like, you can, you can just stay there. Okay. You can just stay there. You don't have to come to the bathroom with me. <laughs> It'll be okay. So he's um, like alert <clears throat> and aware of where you are all the time, yeah. but he's not like Velcroed to your side. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And on the trail, you know, he's, he's super independent on the trail. Um, his, his recall is stellar. We've worked really hard on that. He checks in with me, but I, you know, I let him, he's, he's earned it. He's earned my trust to go mm-hmm. farther ahead. 
Um, but he always checks in. He always comes back if he sees other dogs and people. Um, you know, I know he's not going to go chase things. So, you know, he, he's showed me that he can handle the, the, the independence. So I give it to him. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really hard balance to strike as far as having a dog where, as you said, like you've you've trained him to the point that like you are the most important person and you do control his environment and try to make him make sure he's neutral to a lot of things, but then not turn him into like clingy, mom is the only thing I need to be by her side, like anxious kind of, you know, so it's, it's a good like, it's interesting to hear like how you've struck that nice balance where he can have his independence, but still like check in with you and, and be alert to what you're doing. Yeah, as I've, as I've learned more about dogs and dog training over the years and all of the dogs that I've had in my life have been reactive dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they take a lot of management and it can be really stressful to navigate the world with them. Um, I've found that implementing more structure and rules is really beneficial for them and that they seek that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of dog owners or even you know people in my life look at that and they're like, you don't let your dog do anything or your dog is always like in a command or always doing something. Yeah. Why Why don't they have their freedom? Um, and the way I see it is Sitka, I've, I've had three other dogs. He's the dog that has the most freedom mm. of all those dogs and he has the most structure in his life. And that's what gives him the freedom. Like he's yeah. not always in a command. He's not in a command right now. Yeah. And he's on the couch next to me. If he were like eating the cords, <laughs> that would be a problem. But yeah. he, you know, he's, we've built a relationship where he knows that's not okay. Mm-hmm. He, he knows it's not okay to just like choose destructive behaviors. And, you know, because of that, our bond is really strong. My trust in him is really strong. His trust in me is really strong. And mm-hmm. so he can have that freedom on the trails. And I don't, you know, my only worry is other people's dogs, really. Yeah. And cougars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing that you've uh, created that kind of bond with him and and all the training and stuff that you've done. It's interesting what you said about the all of the dogs you've had have been reactive. We'll get back to that. I want I want to talk more about that for sure. Um, last quick question about Sitka is how did you get him? Oh, this is a good story. Okay. Um, I got him two years ago from a, a rescue in Hood River, Oregon, and I wasn't quite ready to get a dog at that point because I was pet sitting for two different friends in Bend, and I was pet sitting cats, so I couldn't bring a dog into the house. Okay. Um, and I was living in Seattle at the time, and you know, just looking at dogs on Pet Finder, seeing what was out there. And I found Sitka and I was like, oh, he ticks all the boxes because I was looking for an Australian shepherd or cattle dog with a tail. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I really like tails. Yeah. Um, and so I saw him and I was like, okay, like save. And then two other people sent me his profile and I was like, oh. okay, this is a sign that's saying I should go meet him. Mm-hmm. So I... Basically came to Portland, stayed here. I was here for like two days or something. And I was like, let me drive an hour to Hood River to go meet a dog that I can't get right now. <laughs> yeah. And I met him. Um, I really liked him. He put a hole in my jacket the second we met. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I should get you because you're destroying my clothes. <laughs> um, and he 
I don't think he had ever had any real training in his life. From what I understand, he mm-hmm. lived tied up in the backyard all the time. And so he was just very wild, very untamed. Um, when the when I met him, the foster told me he would jump over six foot fences and Oh my gosh. Um, you know, like when I picked him up the first night he was I was staying with a friend who lived near the airport and he was like barking at every time the planes took off and I'm like, Oh my god. Uh. Um and so anyway, so I met him, I liked him, but I was like, I can't take him right now. Mm-hmm. And the woman was like, I can't keep him that long. It was basically, yeah. it was before Thanksgiving and I wasn't able to pick him up until Christmas basically. And she's like, I can't keep him that long. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I understand. Yeah. And so I just kind of thought, okay, I want this dog. I'm going to put that out into the universe. And if it's meant to be, it, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving came and went, which was my first pet sitting gig. No one had taken him. And so I was, I had a, a trip with the Oregon Coast Tourism Board in between pet sitting gigs. And I was like, okay, I can take him for that week. Mm-hmm. And then I just need to find someone to take him for two weeks. I don't yeah. know who that person is going to be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's, I just, I will figure it out. <laughs> who's going to take and this so untrained I, I, dog? This untrained yeah. dog that I don't know anything about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's going to do that? Uh, so I put it like a very like quiet ask out on Instagram to see if anyone would be willing to take this dog. Yeah. And someone stepped up that I had never met. I just knew them from Instagram. They said they would take him for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And the the like kismet thing about it is that they lived in Lincoln City, which was my final destination on this trip. And so I could do the trip, drop him off there, and then head back to Bend. Oh, perfect. And then pick him up on the way out. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I picked him up on Christmas Eve. And oh, yeah. you were a Christmas baby. A Christmas dog. <laughs> Best Christmas present ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah. I like that. It's always – that's what – I did an episode uh, – God, it must have been a year ago now. It was like how to adopt a dog. And one of the things that we said in that is like when you start looking – you know, everyone's like, oh, I've, we've been looking for so long and – you know, maybe it takes six months. Like you, you have in your mind, like it's going to take a while to find the perfect dog. But when you start looking, one of my tips was like, be prepared to find that that first one may be the, the right one. Yep. And, and so it's so funny, like when you start looking and you find the, the right dog, like right off the bat and you're just like, crap, I'm not fully ready yep. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like I was in Oregon, like I was living in Seattle, I was in Oregon. I didn't have a leash. I didn't have a dog bowl. Like, I didn't have yeah. anything. I had all the stuff at home, mm-hmm. but I didn't have it with me. Yeah. So I had to buy stuff because I needed to feed him mm-hmm. and leash it, you know, walk him. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I was really unprepared, but it all worked out. It did. That's great. <laughs> That's how we got um, Albus as well. First dog we went to look at and he was like, perfect. And I was just like, crap, we were living with my in-laws. We had just moved back from London and we – we already had Lupin, and I was like, "Oh, this dog is perfect." But like, I'm like, "This is exactly what we're looking for." Like, gosh darn! <laughs> I was like, "All right, like he's coming home." Um, like, I was like, "Hey, mother-in-law, is that okay?" Like, bring an- yet another dog into your house. Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing all that about yeah, both of you guys. Um, let's talk more about long haul trekkers. So. You mentioned it started with that big trip that you did. You said it was 2014? Uh, The trip was 2015 to 2017. Okay. And so it was like biking trip. Yep. With a dog. With a dog. 
internationally. Yep. <laughs> so I guess my first question is how why did you decide you wanted to take your dog with you on that trip? Like how did that what made you think like yeah, like we'll bring her? It was never really a question, really. Mm-hmm. Um the trip was my ex's idea. And at first I didn't want to go. I was like, this is crazy. Were you a cyclist? I know you said you've been running for a long time. Um but much less a long distance cyclist. <laughs> um I so I was you know, I was in Portland. And Portland's a really big bike town. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was a bike commuter. Mm-hmm. Um I would go on bike rides, but I wouldn't yeah. I don't think I would identify at that time definitely not now um <laughs> identify as a cyclist okay but i liked riding we had never gone on a bicycle tour you, you i don't i don't know where this idea in the u.s yeah was... i don't know why this idea like i don't know how this idea came to him <laughs> i don't know um but yeah at first i was like no i had just gotten my dream job which i put in air quotations um and it was turning out to not be so dreamy not because i didn't like where I worked. I just didn't, it was that time dictation thing. I didn't, I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I came around a couple weeks later and I was like, okay, but yeah, it was, it was never a discussion of whether or not to bring her. It was just, she was coming. She was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, it sounds like it was a a long trip. So it's like, I think the idea of being apart from your dog, you know, who you love so much and, for for that year or whatever it you know ended up turning out to be sounds very like yeah it wouldn't be a question it's like if she's not coming we're not going yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah that's that's how it was with Lupin when we we lived in Seattle and then we moved to London for a few years and we brought Loopy with us and um yeah that that was kind of it it was like if he's not coming then we're not going yeah and <laughs> and even though we only we knew it would probably be a temporary thing we ended up loving it and wanting to stay forever but yeah we knew it was be like only a few years but it was just like yeah if he like we need to do whatever we need to do to get him over there too yeah i mean yeah. you know pets are family and you wouldn't leave your kid because it was you had to get some paperwork like you'd bring your kid and yeah. to, you know to me it's this is a family member they're coming along and they're not disposable yeah like whatever Whatever hoops we need to jump through. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do want to make a disclaimer as we're talking about this. If you know that your dog or your animal, whatever, is not going to be happy in the new situation you're moving into, if you know that they can't handle it and it would be at the expense of their comfort and life, it does. I do understand that some people do have to surrender their dogs or, you know, surrender them to a family member or something like that. I'm not – so I'm not saying that – we're not judging anyone, but it's just like if yeah. you can make it work, which exactly. it sounds like you could. If you can make it work, then go for it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah the whole point was to like it is po- to show people it is possible. If it's yes. something that works for you and your dog mm-hmm. and your situation, it is possible. Yeah. So you said that all your dogs have always been reactive. So it was Sora, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So was Sora reactive and you took her on this trip? Like how did you – manage that aspect of it. Yeah, Sora was reactive to both dogs and people. Um, Not aggressive, just like a lack of confidence, really. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was stressful for sure. And that was definitely something that, you know, 
we were going to have to navigate on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what the trip taught us was really how to advocate for her because, mm-hmm. you know, you see two people riding around with their something in their trailer and then you discover yeah. it's a dog. You know, people want, wanted to talk to us. Yes. And like what you were doing was interesting. Exactly. And yeah. yeah and people- especially like kids. And so I was not good with kids. Like kids always wanted to talk to us. So mm-hmm. we had to figure out ways – to communicate with these kids. And often we didn't speak their language. Yeah. So communicate with these kids, keep Sora safe, mm-hmm. and not, you know, not make the kids feel like like they were terrible. Like yeah. shoot them away, you know? Yeah. And so – And yeah. you still want to be welcome into into whatever community you're exactly. staying in or something exactly. too. So you want to be like, she's me. Like, you go know? away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it taught us to really advocate for her, mm-hmm. um, which in turn, you know – had her, she trusted us more that we weren't going to put her in situations where she didn't feel comfortable. Mm. Um, it helped us. Well, just speak for me. It helped me develop my voice. I'm very yeah. quiet. I'm very introverted, and so mm. you know, like speaking up is really challenging for me. And yeah. but I knew I had to do it for her. Like I couldn't put her in a situation where she might bite a kid, and then you know who knows what would happen. I feel like there's nothing that would get someone out of their shell more than having to advocate for something they care about or like it in on behalf of a dog I I felt that so much like I'm very much like I'm not like I'm introverted but like I don't mind talking but I don't like to make a fuss about myself like I don't like you know I'm I'm that person if like the wrong order comes to me at dinner I'll just be like it's it's cool (laughs) like I'll be like whatever and so but and then you have a dog that you need to advocate for all of a sudden. And it's just like, excuse me, no. Like you you have to be that person sometimes. And yeah, there's nothing quicker that that allows people to find their voice, I think, as you said, than yeah. having to advocate for something like that. Yeah, because back home, I didn't advocate for her as much as I should have. And I put her in situations and others in situations where like I'd have her off leash where she shouldn't have been off leash. Mm-hmm. And it took several like – like bad not bad situations but like embarrassing situations where I finally was like I can't have her off leash like she's yeah she has not earned this and I have not earned this with her and um so the trip really you know taught us taught me how to find my voice and advocate for her and eventually after just repetition after repetition of this she became a lot more comfortable with people you know we we just created really neutral situations like you know I do for for any dog I have now, not you know like communicate to people how to interact with her. Mm-hmm. Don't pet her here, pet her here. Do this trick with her. We would think we would um, recruit kids that wanted to do things with her. We would have we would put on a tricks show. She knew a lot of tricks. We'd put mm-hmm. on a little show for them so they get entertainment. They don't have to interact with her. Yes. Sometimes we might recruit people to like work on like leave it skills, like put treats around her mm-hmm. where they don't actually have to touch her. They're just putting treats down around her and they're saying leave it. And then, you know, that's a way to get them to engage with her. And it's also a great training for her. Like it's a win-win. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of navigated those situations to, you know, figured it out kind of after lots of trial and error, what worked. Um, and the other um, thing we noticed was with other dogs, um, in a lot of places we traveled, there were just street dogs and they would, you know, they didn't have any owners mm-hmm. <laughs> telling them not to come up to it. You know, we didn't have any owners to communicate with. So yeah. we just kind of learned 
how to navigate them. They would just come up and we're like, well, I guess this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, turns out most street dogs are really well socialized dogs. They're really, really good dogs. They have really good manners. Yeah. So most of the time it was never a problem. I um, – both of my dogs are from hoarding situations and um, hoarding as in like there were lots of dogs and – I'm not saying that I recommend that <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, they could have easily developed some significant like resource guarding and stuff like that. But their dog-to-dog manners are amazing because they were they were surrounded by only other dogs. And I think it's kind of what you're saying about the street dogs is like they they understand other dogs' cues and behaviors so well and so easily yep. because that's all they ever knew. Yeah. And it, and it's really nice to to be able to navigate the world and know that I trust that they're aware of what other dogs are saying to them. Yep. Yeah, like they never like came sprinting up to us. They would always come up really like trotting up to us, mm-hmm. greet dogs very calmly. It was yeah. yeah, it was a really it was really it was a really great exercise and study of dog behavior. Yes, I bet. This is that was the the perfect scenario, I think. Yeah. And it makes you – it probably makes you wonder a little bit of like – or it makes me wonder at least, oh, like what are we – like us that we get our dogs, you know, and as much as we socialize and puppy culture and there's all these tactics definitely to do from day one to make sure the dogs are socialized. It is sometimes interesting to think of like would they be better if they like were in some kind of pack situation? It, like I don't know. I don't know. I, just- I wondered that a lot on the trip – and I wondered, um, there's a book called Merle's Door mm-hmm. about this guy that finds a dog during a rafting trip. He brought the dog home to his town in, I think it was Wyoming, really small town. And all the dogs in the town basically roamed free. Like Merle had access to the world as he wanted. Mm-hmm. And all the dogs in the town, the same. And then one day a dog came in that was trained. Yeah. And he didn't get along with any of the other dogs. Interesting. He was the problem dog. Yeah. And um the author also spent a lot of time in Chamonix in France. And he said Chamonix, I guess, has these this like famous pack of I don't know if it's I don't think they're street dogs and they're they have owners, but they just mm-hmm. similar. They like have free like they have freedom in the town. They yeah. do whatever they want. They're super well socialized. <laughs> and so yeah, like those kinds of things make me wonder, like should we be training our dogs this much? I mean, we have – like in urban situations especially, you know, I think we have to yeah, just for harmony and, mm-hmm. and so they're not super destructive or getting hit by cars or whatever. But yeah, it really made me wonder like what what is it about a complete lack of training? Yeah. Are they better off? Yes, exactly. It's it's very interesting. And also, disclaimer for everyone, we're, we're not saying don't train your dogs. <laughs> we're just, it's more just like fun and interesting to theorize about and think about, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, please train your dog. No. Yes, please, please train your dogs. <laughs> They're not street dogs. They, they live in your home. <laughs> okay, cool. So we – so you're saying on the – you had to learn to advocate for Sora and find different routes for her to still be able to engage with people around her and kind of get creative, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more just logistically about this trip. So you said like she was in a trailer, you were in Europe and South America? Yep. Okay. How long was this? Tell me about how she – like did she just like run next to you or did she was she carted around? Um, we, so the trip was two years long. We were in Europe about eight months and then South America 
14 months, I guess. Wow. Um, she had – in Europe, she had a burly design tail wagon, which is designed specifically for dogs. Okay. Most of the um, uh, routes we took there were paved because mm-hmm. uh, Europe has amazing bike infrastructure. Okay. Um Good to know. South America does not, not, not so much. It's a little yeah. more rugged. <laughs> a little more rugged. So we swapped the trailer out for um, a Burley Delight, which is made for kids, but it was like deluxe. It had suspension and <laughs> cozy, cozy setup for us, nice and spacious. So yeah. we called it the chariot. <laughs> um, my Soros chariot. Soros chariot. That's great. Uh, my ex is the one that pulled her around. I. Somehow managed to get out of that duty. I carried <laughs> I carried the food, which was very heavy. So yeah, that's that's still significant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so that was that was the trip, yep. and then long haul trekkers started during this. You said is like started as kind of like a blog, traveling around, adventuring with your dog, like showing people that it was possible. What part of that trip with Sora and with a dog? Did you decide – like what part of that experience made you decide to continue this full time? Yeah. So like you said, it's the blog started out as kind of just a story, place to tell our stories and, you know, keep stay in touch with friends and family. Yeah. And then it started attracting attention of brands and I was also learning – connecting with other bloggers and learning that blogging is like actually – you can make money out of it and make it a career. Mm-hmm. And so I learned more about how to do that and treat it like a business and work with brands. And so it eventually evolved from you know travel – these are our travels – to more articles about how to travel with your dog, how to go on bicycle tour with your dog. Mm-hmm. And then when the trip ended, it, it kind of morphed into more adventures with your dog um, – whether that's bicycling or paddleboarding or hiking or trail running, whatever, any kind of outdoor adventure with your dog. And then um, traveling with your dog. So how to travel internationally with your dog, how to travel locally with your dog, and like Mm -hmm. what kind of things you can do with your dog. Um, And then since then, um, I've – the blog has kind of evolved into – I I still write about travel and outdoor adventures – um, I have gear guides for both that include both human and dog gear. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the most recent addition is dog training. Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so much. You're yes. doing so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love what you said about traveling with a dog. And I think I think your blog is so important and the info you're putting out there is so important because oftentimes it's just like getting started. It's, it's very hard, at least for me, my personality type. I don't think I'm a perfectionist. Like I, I kind of usually do fly by the seat of my pants. But when it comes to being prepared for the dogs, I I have a lot of like I want to make sure that they're going to be safe and comfortable through the whole experience. Like I'll forget to pack myself underwear, but yeah, of course <laughs> they have three Kongs and you know, like extra days worth of food and all that. Yep. Um, so yeah, so – I think that type of info is so helpful and important to put out there, as you said earlier, to show people that you can do it, that you can travel with a dog or adventure, go on adventures and do these fun activities. But then also like, here's a little, here's a little startup guide. Yeah. And, you know, and here's a good trail that I found was really helpful. And, you know, things like that is really nice. Um, 
when we were living in London, I did a lot of traveling with Lupin throughout the UK. And part of it was that their society over there is extremely dog friendly. I don't know if you felt that in Europe when you were kind of yeah, going around and I've, as well. Yeah. And I've spent time in the UK with, with my dog as well. Yes. Yeah. It was just so – the fact – I mean, I could bring him on the tube every day to work. And and he's quite a like very introverted, shy um, – so it did take a little bit of work for us to build up to that, you know, for commute hours and him being surrounded by people and all of that. But um, now that I look back on it and I'm more aware of like what training is, I'm like, wow, yeah, we did a lot of training. But <laughs> but I think it was also just very like passive training. Yeah. You know, it was just like I would put a little mat on the ground and I'd be like, that's your place. And he'd be like, okay. And, yep. you know, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, that's like a place cue. Yeah. But, you know, but before I'm like, go on your bath mat. And then I would bring his bath mat like onto the train with us. And <laughs> he would lay, lay down on it. But it was very accepted and it was very easy, I felt, to travel with him there. Yep. So we didn't have a car. So we took the train, you know, like up to the Lake District and Scotland and like all of that. And he was on the train under our seats, like an 80-pound dog. Like he was half in the aisle and people just – we're okay with it and which was very sweet of them you know they were like oh he's cute and we just like move around him um and yeah and it was just such an amazing experience and I felt so so happy that I was able to have those experiences with him flash forward now we are in the U.S. and you would you would think you know I'm back home I have a car like all that it's it would be easier to travel with him. And sometimes I just – I don't feel like that. Sometimes, I don't know what it is like that's been holding me back from doing more activities with the dogs, especially now that we have Albie. But um, yeah, there's just something that I'm like, oh, like the laws here in comparison to the UK, you know, no leash laws over there yeah. and everything. So he, he was kind of just like wandering around and and he had great recall and so it was, it was all good. But um. But yeah, so now I'm like, okay, how do I navigate this with – I want to go on this hike. He has to be on leash the whole time and, you know, I got to keep him away from the other other potential dogs that, you know, may ha be reactive. And like, you know, all of that is just like – it starts to be like, okay, there's hoops I have to jump through and I don't know how to go about it, especially because I think the Pacific Northwest activities that we would do are probably a little bit more rugged than the, <laughs> than the UK ones we yeah. did. The UK ones were a lot of like – walking over the over the rolling <laughs> oh, the, hills through hillsides the yes the hillsides was amazing that was very much both of our speeds that yeah. was <laughs> that was like our thing we were just like yeah we could like walk for hours well the nice thing about the uk um a lot of europe but the uk and um uh scandinavia have um every mind every man's right laws so basically you can go on there's not really private property there's private yes. property but you can access it yeah anyone can access it which i really wish we had similar laws here because there's so much land yeah that's just not being used exactly i completely agree it was so nice because it's like i knew i was crossing someone's land you know we had to like go through a fence or something but we were just passing through and and it's not like he – he's not an overly athletic dog where he would, like, run a mile off and be, like, you know, See sprinting you. around. Yeah. <laughs> he, he kind of just trotting, you know, within probably, like, 20 yards of me. And um, – but just kind of following his nose and sniffing around. And, yeah, it was it was very nice. And so, as you said, it's a it's different here. Not in a bad way, but just different. And so I think 
all the info that you have is very helpful. I'd love to speak a little bit on how you are able to do all these activities with Sitka as a reactive dog, like what you, what type of training you've had to do as far as to get him comfortable and get yourself comfortable and like what type of resources you have on your blog as well for any listeners who maybe are a little bit nervous about having a reactive dog or something and going on adventures. Sure. It definitely can um, be a real challenge to navigate this world with a reactive dog. The place I would start is training your dog and implementing that structure that I talked about. It makes a huge difference. And Mm -hmm. I'm someone who does a lot of research and I like dog training and I, I wanted to figure it out. And this path of me, you know, working towards becoming a dog trainer started with this dog. Um, I had with my ex, we were living in Spain at the time and I couldn't stand her. She she was very sweet, but just very excitable. She would go from like zero to 100 in a split second. Mm-hmm. She, if you, I let her off leash once um, on a trail and she disappeared for like 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. I was like, I just lost my puppy. Like, yeah. what was I thinking? Yeah. She would chase after deer. Um, she would... Uh, in Europe, I don't know if it's all of Europe, but I think you can shepherd your your flock of sheep anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. She would like go after people's sheep. She wouldn't oh. go after the sheep, but she would just like go to them. I'm like, she's gonna, she's gonna get shot. She yeah. would get attacked by their guard dog. Yeah. Um, she was, she would, she would not be able to calm down if someone looked at her. Mm-hmm. She just would think it's the greatest thing in the world and throw a tantrum. And I just, I couldn't stand her. I didn't want to run with her. I didn't want to do anything with her. I just wanted to leave her at home. And the deal with getting her was that he would train her um, because I didn't want a puppy. And Sora was dying at the time. I knew it was going to be the last year with her. And I'm like, I don't don't have the emotional capacity for something else. Yeah. Um, But, you know, she proved difficult for him. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm training her. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, you know, I read all these books on dog training, um, using uh, like positive reinforcement only, and worked with her. Did all the things in the books, and it helped some, but mm-hmm. not to the extent that I that I wanted. Like uh, we were not meeting my goals. Yeah, and um, I kind of put like a cry. And I worked with her for like months and months and months and months, and I put a cry out for help. On, not even for help, just like a, like a rant about her on Instagram once. Mm-hmm. But, like I can't stand her. Like I don't want her. I don't. I, I yeah. don't want this dog mm-hmm. and um people like a lot of people that i know and follow for years are like you should e-call or train her and i was like oh i didn't know that was i don't i didn't really ever think about yeah, that I yeah. those were bad i don't know mm-hmm. and so i just did my research and i learned more um and that I never got to work with with her with an e collar. We started to do a little bit of mm-hmm. of um, uh, prong collar introduction with her, which made an instant difference. Interesting, instant. Yeah. We found a trainer here in Oregon. Found a trainer for us in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a balanced trainer, and 
it was a group class and the second class we went to, I, I like stopped midway between the car and the park where we were meeting in tears because Layla, the dog was flipping out. And I was like, if I go forward, I'm rewarding her. If I don't move, we're never going to make it to class. And mm-hmm. I just like broke down. Yeah. And the trainer saw me, came over, grabbed her from me, put a prong collar on her, like showed me how to use the pressure on, pressure off. And it was mm-hmm. instant change. Interesting. Instant. Yeah. It, it was oh. – I can only imagine the relief you felt with – in that moment of just like, wow, I found something that worked. Yeah. Yeah. It was – it. It felt amazing. And like I could take her on runs after that. Mm. I could do things with her. I wanted to do things you with her. You could start building your relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that's how you got introduced to balance training. That's how I got introduced to balance training. Um, and, you know, we, we split up shortly after that. So I never got to really work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, I knew – that my next that I would use that method of training with my next dog. I'm really drawn to reactive dogs. I think because because of the challenge, mm-hmm. I've learned so much about dogs because of having reactive dogs. Um, I've learned so much about myself because of having reactive dogs. Mm-hmm. I have found my voice because of my reactive dogs. So yeah. as challenging as they are, it's really just been a a great exercise in personal growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dog ownership journey. Yeah. Um, So going back to your original question for navigating the world, the trails with reactive dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, that whole um, experience with Layla introduced me to this new type of training Mm -hmm. that works really well for me and the activities I do. You know, I want to be able to go trail run for four, five, six hours with my dog off leash but mm-hmm. I need him to come back to me. I need him to have recall. I need him to ignore other dogs. Mm-hmm. I need him to stay in a heel if I'm asking him to stay in a heel. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just – it works really well for the goals that I have. And I really – it you know, it just – the e-collar is – it's like an extension of the leash. So, you, teach, you know, like if your dog's ahead of you, you can be like, hey, come back. Yeah. Um, and it also works really well for getting – your dog out of that mindset of reactivity. So when we're walking down the street, if the garbage truck comes or if I see him like starting to huff at another dog, we'll just like turn, do a 180, I'll tap, mm-hmm. do a 180 and get him, just kind of snap him out of that mindset. That's, I've heard it, people have said it kind of like a tap on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what the, you know, just like a little, oh, hey. And it kind of just takes you out of the moment or takes them out of that that a moment maybe, as you said, they were yeah. like rising emotions or something. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of compare it sometimes, you know, some people um, will put a rubber band on their wrist if they're, oh. I don't know, picking their nails, if they want to break yeah. a habit. Yeah. And when they start to pick their nails or whatever, they like snap their wrist. So mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt, but yeah. it's uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. unpleasant, but it's not like you're not abusing yourself, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, nothing yeah. like terrible. It just gets you out of that mindset and has you focus on something else mm-hmm. so that you're breaking that habit. And okay. so, yeah. So, you know, um, a lot of what I've talked about today, so training. So what I was saying, that whole story Yeah. with Sitka, I chose to go to a professional trainer because as much as I had taught myself, I knew there were a lot of things that there were a lot of little missing pieces and they were very little and very mundane and very boring. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what a lot of dog owners skip over Mm -hmm. are the really boring things. So like teaching your dog to walk in your house. Oh. And then you go outside and you go to your street. Yeah. And you set a timer for 20 minutes and you forget the whole idea of a dog walk. Mm -hmm. You're just focusing on getting your dog to walk next to you without Mm -hmm. pulling. Mm -hmm. So some days when we were training – we would literally walk up and down the same street for 20 minutes. Yeah. So he would really – it would really – like the environment would dictate where we go. Oh, is it garbage day? Okay, we're not getting very far. Mm. Uh, they're, everyone's walking their dogs at the same time. This is the gauntlet. You know, yeah. it just really depended on what the world was giving us at that moment. And that was a huge game changer, working with a professional trainer, practicing advocating for your dog. Um Speaking up for them, not letting other dogs or people into their space. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge thing because most reactive dogs are either doing it out of excitement, which is probably because they've been allowed to meet all the dogs and people. And so when they don't get to, they throw a tantrum mm-hmm. or out of fear or frustration, um, they want that thing to go away. And so if you're not letting that thing come to them, then they're like, okay, I know you got my back. You're not going to let that person or dog come into my space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a really a trust building, like you trust them to not be reactive and they trust you to not yeah. let those things into their space. And so on the trail, the, the, the hardest part really is off leash dogs that are not trained. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the mentality that, oh, you have a dog and I have a dog and they should meet. Yeah. That's what dog parks are for. If you want your dog to do that, take your dog to a dog park, but the trails are not dog parks. They're not places where there is, um, universal permission among dog owners for dogs to meet. Yes. You always have to ask for permission. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone asks you to not let your dog approach, just say okay. I don't mm-hmm. know why like so many some dog owners get so upset about that. Like just say okay. Yeah. Just say okay. <laughs> just do it. No one's <laughs> no one's like it takes three seconds to call like to get your dog and then move on. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what it is, but it's it's becoming comfortable with that discomfort of having to communicate with other dog owners, knowing that they might like swear at you and scream at you. I have been sworn at and screamed at. I have been told to calm down. I've been told we don't belong on the trail. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's awful and it's yeah. unfair. And you you just the more you do it, the more it happens, the more practice you get mm-hmm. and the more you learn what to say, the more you, it just comes out naturally, the more confident you feel saying these things to people. You are like, – I am constantly looking for spots on the trail like, oh, there's a log. Okay, if someone comes, I can place them on that log. Oh, there's a rock. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a pullover spot. Like it's a lot of mental work for the human. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. But, you know, it's worth it. Like mm-hmm. put in the training. I trust him. I know he'll come back to me. I'm not worried about him. It's yeah. other people. So I just – I go in the expectation whether – there's leash laws or not, people are going to break them. Or even, you know, if you yeah. have your dog on leash, like mm-hmm. it's about, it's about management. It doesn't matter if your dog is on or off leash. It's about managing your dog. Yes. So I just go in with the expectation that there are going to be dogs I'm going to have to manage and owners I'm going to have to communicate with. Mm-hmm. So rather than going into it with everyone should just follow the rules and no one should let their dog come up to mine. And mm-hmm. I hate it when dog owners do this. Like I just expect it. So if yeah. I expect it and I know it's going to happen, I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. So that's my very that's, long explanation like of how it. to navigate the world yeah. with your reactive dog. <laughs> no, I like that. That was so much, so many valuable tips and advice that you just gave. And so, and I think it's really important for the 
owners or dog parents of reactive dogs, but also for the dog parents of dogs that are not reactive in any way. Maybe your dog is the one that wants to say hi and because those are my boys. Like they they're not reactive, but they do they do want to come, you know, they see another dog. And as I said, they're both very more dog oriented. They really enjoy saying hi to other dogs. But one, as you said, it's like I always ask permission. You know, if they kind of like indicate me like they see the other dog and they're like, you know, tails wagging, I'm like, okay, you know, and I yell across the street like, can our dog say hi? And and if someone says no, then it's like, okay, and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, or not today or whatever. You know, sometimes people are even just in a hurry. Maybe their dog is fine, but they're like, eh, sorry. You know? Yeah. And it's just like, okay, bye. And then you move on and you need to be able to make sure your dog is okay Moving on. Moving on. Yes. And then also if there is – if your dog is off leash and wants to go say hi to other dogs and it's not okay, you need to be able to recall your dog and say like, nope, like they can't say hi to you. And and that's something that I struggle with with Lupin especially is that the the only thing that he'll want – that he won't listen to me with the recall is – is when he really wants to say hi to another dog or if there's like food in that, you know, <laughs> he's finding food under a tree or something. And and so that's why I oftentimes just don't let him off leash. And um, even though I know he has great recall and if I know there are no other dogs around, then I'm like okay with it. But I'm just like that. It, that's not fair to the other dogs and the other owners out there who, as you said, are kind of like – doing everything right and having their dog, you know, like navigating the world and they come prepared. And so it's it makes a lot of sense of what you're saying is like both parties need to be prepared. Yeah. Is what I'm hearing for from you. And then I think then all the bases are covered. Yeah. 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 And just yeah. Just being respectful of each other. Like Yes. It's okay if your dog if the dogs hear me is really okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to happen. <laughs> um, okay. I'm just looking at the time and I did not realize how long we've been talking for. You've, <laughs> it has been great. This has been such a great conversation. Um, really quick. You've given us all this advice. If people want to learn more from you, tell us a little bit about the Adventure Dog Camp you have yeah. coming up. Um, so I am hosting Adventure Dog Camp in Central Oregon at Subtle Lodge. May 5th through 8th. Mm-hmm. Applications are open right now. And it's going to be a three-day, three-night adventure dog training camp. Um, initially, it was going to be for like very green dogs that had never gone through training. But everyone who has applied has gone through training. <laughs> so it's going to be um, a, a, a retreat where we will be practicing those advocacy skills that I talked about, getting really comfortable speaking to other dog owners. So we'll be the, you know, we'll play role, we'll play, we'll role play of like bad dog owner. <laughs> yeah. Or let's, let's call them bad dog owner. Just like, um, untrained naive. dog owner, naive yeah. dog yeah. owner. Um, so we'll role play that. We'll role, role play on the trails, uh, like at breweries. Um, mm. we're going to bring in someone to do a barn hunt, oh, fun. which is super fun. We're going to do, um, some workshops on skills building. So a lot of the dogs coming are reactive as well. So we'll mm-hmm. just do some, again, those like really boring exercises that are really mundane, but really good for the dogs of just teaching impulse control and yes. teaching them that they have to stay calm while these dogs are you know, like doing whatever going mm-hmm. by. Um, and we're going to do some human focus workshops that are for the dogs. So 
um, like goal setting and bucket list setting and kind of setting those goals and then seeing how you're training, like building a training plan to achieve those goals. Yeah. So yeah, I'm That's super excited. Amazing. Yeah. That's really so cool. excited. I like that you're doing it as a little camp as well, because I mean, obviously the last two years in the world have been very isolating for a lot of people. So it sounds really fun to actually get together with people and do it. But it's also as much as we can learn from the internet and make significant progress, sometimes just being there face-to-face, learning from other people and having this like communal learning and like knowledge sharing is, I think, is going to, is very valuable. So it's really cool that you put that together. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. And yeah, it's, it'll, like everyone's going to stay in their own little cabin. We'll do everything outdoors. We'll be very COVID safe yeah. as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's a nice place to build community, especially a community of dog owners that understand what it's like to navigate the world with your reactive dog. Yes. Amazing. Okay. Well, I'm telling everyone right now, even if you are not in the Pacific Northwest, maybe you have a friend who is or someone who'd be interested in traveling. So send the Adventure Dog Camp info to your friend if they have a reactive dog that you think maybe would this would serve them. And um, just to round out, last question, since this is the With a Dog podcast, why do you choose life with a dog? Oh, man. Um, don't know how to answer that. I know. <laughs> I know you put that in the notes, but I'm yeah. like, uh, um, okay, let me think for a sec. <laughs> Um, you know, I just, I had just always wanted a dog growing up. We had cats and my parents didn't want a dog. So I just became like the neighborhood dog walker and dog sitter mm-hmm. and was always really drawn to dogs. And I think, um, I visited my, my aunt used to live in Vermont and they had a German shepherd that was amazingly well-trained and they lived in the mountains. And I saw a glimpse of that life of having a well-trained dog that you could go hiking with and be in the wilderness with. And it, I just, I remember it so Mm -hmm. vividly. I was, I think I was like nine years old and I just always wanted that ever since then. Yeah. Um, I didn't get my first dog until Sora and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't technically my dog. She was my partner's dog. Mm -hmm. Um, but she became very quickly my dog. (laughs) And that was, uh, I think I was 30 Mm -hmm. and I just, Immediately, I met Sora, and I think like two days later, I took her for a trail run, mm-hmm. and I just I was it felt right. I was like, this is, this is the life I need to have. I need to have a dog in my life. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's a really good answer. I think there's something very special about when you see something and see maybe you know a part of someone else's life, and you see that, and you're like, that if I could do something similar, I would be happy. Like if I could have a dog, like I know that you you have like a gut sense that you would be fulfilled and enjoy your life. And that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thanks. a good one. <laughs> All for Sitka. All for Sitka. Yeah. He's, he's like he's passed out. Boy. He opened a little eyes. Like what? <laughs> um, okay. Really quick. Go ahead and plug your info for all our listeners. Sure. Um, you can find me on my blog at longhaultrekkers.com. I'm on Instagram at longhaultrekkers and Adventure Dog Camp. Um, you can find a page on the Long Haul Trekkers site. There's an Adventure Dog Camp tab. 
Applications are open now, so get in and apply. There's a few spots left. Um, yeah. Perfect. That's it. Yay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this whole interview, Jen. It was so nice to speak with you. And thank you again for letting me come to your house and, and do this. Oh, it was such a pleasure. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, anytime. Um, and then for everyone, if you want to follow the podcast, it's at With a Dog Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, With a Dog Pod on TikTok. And we have new episodes every Wednesday. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>